Peace, peace, and welcome. We're glad you're here. This is the Cook on Monday Morning Podcast. I am here with the culinary genius. <laughs> Something like that. The, 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 the master of the kitchen. The, um, the greatest chef in the history of the United States of America. <laughs> That's a good description. <laughs> uh, uh, welcome, brother. Thank you. Thank you Brought for having me. Shot. Thank you for having me. Um, it's uh, glad to. I'm glad to have you for sure. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, Rashad Armstead is um, is a chef, and we're going to get into his story. Uh, we're going to talk about you know what he's doing now, uh, his journey along the way, um, the the experience he had on a competitive TV show called Chopped. Um, uh, so, you know. I'm glad to have you, man. For sure, for sure. Happy to be here. Happy yeah. To be here. At Cook on Monday Morning, we believe that if you own Monday Morning, you can own the week. If you own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. So how'd you get started as a as a chef? Like what 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 drew you into cooking? Man, so my my whole entire family, that's all that's what what we're known for is cooking. Mm -hmm. So um, my great grandmother, her name was Sarah Rawls. She opened up her very first restaurant in West Oakland. She was a, uh, I'm not going to say a classically trained chef. She was a Southern chef mm -hmm. that really just knew Southern food to, I mean, on a whole nother level. So she opened up her first restaurant in West Oakland, had a um, hot plate where she was serving egg sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And then she grew that one restaurant into about eight other ones throughout the Bay Area. So that was one of my biggest inspirations because I had such a, a deeper legacy in this industry because of her. And I didn't really discover that till, till recently, just how, how much she did and how just powerful she was. So that was one of my main inspirations. And then just cooking for my family, mm -hmm. us cooking together, us being able to share food with each other. That was like one of the, one of the biggest reasons that drew me into the industry. Mm -hmm. Then when I got in there, I started off as a dishwasher. And being a dishwasher, I just I knew it was where where I wanted to be going into being a chef, and I just worked my way from there all the way up. Mm -hmm. And having I, that's when I was 15 years old, I, I started started. So mm -hmm. I've been doing it ever since. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So yeah, actually, one of the themes that we talk about on Cook Home Monday Morning is legacy, and it sounds like yeah. um, your great grandmother was that for you. My great grandfather was that for me in, yeah. a, in a different way, but. Eight restaurants. Yeah, she was, and she was a she was a gangster. <laughs> she, I mean, she, she did that. She had cookbooks. She was producing her own TV show. She put out a blues album. She was Essence Woman of the Year one year. She was, I mean, she was she was big time. She was she was big time. That's and incredible. and it was and it was for me. I'm one of those people that I believe that my ancestors opened up the door for me mm -hmm. to do so much. So it's mm -hmm. my it's it's my responsibility. To take what they did and kind of run with it, right? And so she, um, she was about to get her show syndicated nationally, hmm. and there was an organization. I don't know if I can say the name just because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But it was a, one of the biggest organizations for people of color, okay, in the world. Mm -hmm. They did not like the image that she was portraying of black women in Hollywood at the time, mm. so they got her show um, boycotted hmm. and taken off the air right before it was going to get nationally syndicated. Mm. And her character was that Southern grandma like a Paula Dean kind of character. Okay. And she was blowing up, like she was on commercials with Muhammad Ali, mm -hmm. Sammy Davis Jr. Mm -hmm. She was at all their parties. And I think what it was, was she came from the Bay Area out of nowhere 
into LA and just blew up. Mm. And everybody knows sometimes there's always these unseen rules that we don't talk about in different cities and different communities. And she she wasn't one of those people that would confine to your rules. She just wasn't. She wasn't having it. She was her own person. Right. And I think because of that, and my great uncle even told me, he said, she refused to play their rules. Hmm. She refused to play the game. She refused to follow having them come in and try to control her image or what she was doing. And because of that, they ended up getting her show kicked off the air. Wow. And I mean, I, I had to I had to really go do because, you know, in the black family sometimes we don't talk about those the painful things. Mm-hmm. So I had to go do a lot of research and I found articles to back it up. And I was I was just surprised that it was a black organization that got a black woman kicked off the air. Hmm. Because she wasn't looking how they wanted her to look. Mm. And I mean, she was the Oprah of back in the day. Like she had her own production company, album, cookbooks, TV shows, restaurants, and doing big things, but they didn't want to see her on on TV. So now I'm like, I have the 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 burden of of kind of proving to them mm. <laughs> it didn't mm. work. Yeah, you're gonna wanna come back. Oh, we don't get to so come what, back. So what, what what was her name? <laughs> her name was Sarah Rawls. Sarah Rawls. Yeah. Okay. And uh and so um that was your great grandmother. So it was that your mother or father's That's my mother's mother. Mother. Your mother's mother. Yeah. Um and so uh and you grew up in Oakland. So I grew up from San Jose, Palo Alto, Modesto, Oakland, okay. everywhere. Lived in LA for a few for about almost a year. So yeah, I've lived all over California. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um yeah, talk a little bit about uh your upbringing, like uh the your siblings, your parents situation, sort of like the major lessons. It sounds like your great grandmother was a major influence around your career, but yeah. talk a little bit more about what what your what your home life was like. Okay, well, I grew up, my mom and my dad have been together for 30, whew, 34, 34 years, almost 35 years. Okay. Long, long time. Mm-hmm. Long, long, long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, all together, I have four sisters, two brothers. Mm-hmm. No, I have five sisters, two brothers. Okay. Um, Where are you in the? I am right in the middle. Okay. But more so like the oldest. Okay. <laughs> okay, the middle <laughs> child with the responsibility. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. them other ones, above me and below it's just like uh-huh. man uh-huh. <laughs> what's wrong with y'all but you know that's a whole nother uh, <laughs> a whole nother uh, podcast okay. but yeah I, I grew up uh, my, my family we were never like rich my mom and my dad were two very hard working people that took care of us like nobody's business they always made sure that we were good um, they were I grew up in a family where I, I was I was one of the lucky ones to have a father mm-hmm. that was not a macho man. Mm. He didn't really tell me, go do this and go do that. He kind of let me kind of find my way as I was growing up. And it was a good thing because I didn't have to deal with the burden of trying to prove to the world how much of a man I was because my dad was constantly validating me as a man. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it was definitely a blessing having my father there along the way of my journey and still having him here now when I'm still, you know, going through my journey. And, um, just him and my mom having having grown up seeing that being in an environment of two black people loving each other. I mean, when everyone else around me was divorced, singles, baby mama, baby daddy drama, and all that kind of stuff, and then coming home and having somewhat of a normal life where your parents go to work, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And then when the family would come in and visit, those were the crazy ones, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, but but mm-hmm. the the our, our family life. 
it was my parents did the best they could with what they had. Mm -hmm. And and that was a blessing because I think that it taught me a lot about who I am now. And it kind of gave me a lot of structure mm -hmm. to where I'm not out here kind of looking for the validation of others because I was always validated at home mm -hmm. through my parents. Even when I would say and do some of the craziest stuff, they still were there mm -hmm. loving unconditionally. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, it, and it's definitely been a, a, definitely a big benefit for me now as I'm getting older and moving in business, mm -hmm. meeting different people. It kind of gives me the, the, the backbone to be able to say what I feel, especially mm -hmm. when I call my parents and say, well, I'm going to say this. And they're like, Yep, that's true. Say mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. There you go. <laughs> they're not making me second guess myself. They're mm -hmm. like, we know who you are. We know your heart. We've always known who you are. Say it. Mm -hmm. Nobody don't like it. Oh well. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was, I was. Uh, you know, I was really engaged in our first conversation because I, immediately I knew that um, you were more than a chef. Like you were, uh, you were, you were, you are a chef, but you have a voice. And you're looking to build a platform to do something um, greater than what happens in the kitchen. Yeah. And I think that uh, I think you know chefs can occupy that unique space in society. Like you see them sort of like go beyond what they do in the kitchen and become sort of like leaderships on lifestyle, or leaderships yeah. on um, on ownership. But before, and I want to get into that about your story, and I want to let you rip on that because I know you have a ton of yeah, ideas, yeah. And a ton of things that you're doing. For sure. Um, talk a little bit though about about Chopped. Man, that was a crazy experience. What is what is Chopped like? How does it for people that <laughs> don't know? And <laughs> so Chopped is a Food Network competition. I think they're on their fiftieth season now, oh, and they've been seasons. around for nine years i think mm -hmm. so they they tape constantly like mm -hmm. they're always taping and so um i used to audition a lot for food competitions back in what 2010 2011 it had gotten to a point to where i just wasn't making it and i was just like you know what i'm tired of driving back and forth to la tired of doing all this let me just stop and i literally prayed i said god i'm gonna stop doing this but if you want me to be on any of these shows they're gonna come and find me mm -hmm. And that was it. I never mm -hmm. went on any more any more competitions after that. Literally, what was this? February 2017. Yeah, Chopped emailed me. Wait, no, was that 2017, 2018? 2018. Okay. Yeah, because it happened fast. <laughs> February 2018, Chopped emailed me and was like, hey, do you want to audition for the show? I didn't return the email for like two or three days mm -hmm. because that prayer came back in my mind. I was like, oh, Lord, what's happening? <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. So I finally returned their email. February, we do the application process. March, we do our pod, the, um, what do you call it? The Skype interview. April, they were out taping the bio pack, which is the thing that they show you in the front and, and before the show. And then by May, I was out there shooting the episode. Hmm. So it happened like pa 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 bam like right, back right, to back, right. mm -hmm. and when I went on the show, it was crazy. I was I was in, I was in the beginning stages of, of my divorce mm -hmm. while I was on the show. Mm -hmm. Went there and um, I was just like in a because I was so. And that moment, I was my depression and anxiety had really kicked in. Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting the help I needed. So I was in a really crazy mental place. Mm -hmm. My business was kind of like, you know, businesses, it was just on a wave. didn't know where it was going. Mm -hmm. And I literally just walked in that kitchen. I was just like, you know what? God went and bought me here for no reason. So let me just figure out what I'm going to do here. Mm -hmm. And I was every, every, every round, I'm just like praying. I'm like, 
all right, God, I don't know what to do. Mm. <laughs> you you got to give me the give me the wisdom that I need. And literally every round, I just did that. Yeah. I wasn't worried about what everybody else was doing. I was just like, I, I just want to get through the next round. Because yeah. it, it's a very stressful, stressful environment yeah yeah explain a little bit about the structure too we'll put like the links of this of your episodes in the in the description so okay. you can check them out but um like how many people are competing what does the time look yeah. like what are the round what the rounds mean like so so when you get there sees yeah, all the yeah. time this is like redundant for them but. <laughs> no, no no but no but the one of the biggest questions i get asked is that is it real that people really want to know because they because it doesn't they think that it's TV land, but uh -huh. it's really real. Like literally, we got there at six a.m. Okay, got to the studio, had to sign papers, start doing interviews. Competition starts. Mm -hmm. You literally get the time limits that that you guys see on TV. We get those time limits. Mm -hmm. But the messed up part is that in between those the the rounds, we have to go and do interviews. Hmm. We have to give descriptions of our dishes. We have hmm. to talk about it. Now, we're already under enough pressure mm -hmm. to, <laughs> we're, to you know, this. scared mm -hmm. because the judges are now eating our food. Mm -hmm. And so we're like stressed about that. We're stressed about because we don't know the names of our dishes. And <laughs> we're just like, what's going on? But we have to get interviewed through every round. Mm -hmm. And so during that time, like, like the commercial breaks, we're getting interviewed during that time. We have to come back. Then they kick somebody off mm -hmm. and it's tough. It starts off with four people. Mm -hmm. And then each round you go to appetizer, you go to entree, then you go to dessert. Okay. And um, each round they just throw you some crazy ingredients inside the basket that mm -hmm. they it's meant to throw you off where you really have to be creative. Mm -hmm. Like in that kitchen, I don't care if you are a Michelin star chef, mm -hmm. that's all bought down to everybody's entry level. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're all prep cooks walking in that kitchen at mm -hmm. that moment. Mm -hmm. And so when you, you you go in the round and you literally have the time, the, the, that 30 minute, that 25 minutes that they give you, that's how much you have. Wow. And even open up the box, you literally one second to think about what you're gonna do. Mm -hmm. What was in your box? <laughs> so my first round, um, we had snail vinaigrette was, was, one of the, was one of the outrageous ones. Snail vinaigrette. Vinegar, no, 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 sorry, snail vinegar. Oh. I made a snail vinaigrette off okay. of it. So it's basically fermented snails, like oh. the shells that they turn into a vinegar. It's not too bad, actually. I was okay. surprised Had on how it tasted. You it? No, never okay. seen it in my life. Okay. No, I was like, I what is this? I was like, what's, what's going on? Um, and then my next round, we had the soft shell crab. We had the green bananas. Mm. And that's where I made the banana ketchup, okay. which I don't know where that idea even came uh -huh. from. Uh -huh. But it's one of those things where if you understand food, Banana ketchup. If you understand the sweetness of and mm -hmm. the flavor profiles of an of an ingredient, you should be able to make something out of it. Mm. That's when I made the banana ketchup. And then the next round, we had basmati rice, an Irish birthday cake. No, 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 Swedish birthday cake, and the the lavender mints okay. and green strawberries. Oh, mints. Yeah. Okay. But see, these <laughs> lavender mints are the ones that people use that are trying to stop smoking. Oh. So they're awful. Oh my God. <laughs> oh. I just used that just to brush it a little bit on top of my thing. Cause in that round I made a deep fried rice pudding mm. with a uh, green strawberry raspberry sauce on, on top of it. Damn. Yeah. So, so we can just, I can just like give you like whatever and you can make something. Yeah. I've been doing that forever. Okay. I was telling people like, that's my life is chopped. Like, okay. I, like, like I just, life has been just throwing me stuff and I just been making stuff happen out of it. Like, uh -huh. like that's been my whole entire experience. So me going to that competition, it was such a normal kind of thing for me because that's the, I've been, I've been in that, especially owning my business. Mm. And this yeah. entrepreneurial world been throwing me secret ingredients all the time and I had to just, 
what is this? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, yeah. And I got to figure it out and come up with something. Right. So, so I, I was definitely prepped uh-huh. mentally for that for that uh-huh. competition. Yeah, that's so interesting, man. I never cook. Hey, really? My last name is Cook. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you. So Are you like, scared to cook? <laughs> so, like, I was at a I was at a party, right? And um, my homegirl, uh, she was one of the guests on the show. Her name is Tyra, mm-hmm. and um, and she was like, "Oh, Stevan has a she 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 missed uh, she missed said the name of the podcast." She she's like, "Stevan has a podcast. It's called Cook in the Morning, right?" And then this other guy next to me was like, "Oh, you have a cooking podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> he was like super psyched. He was like, "Oh, I love cooking shows." You <laughs> were like, "No, no." I was like, "Nah." He was like, "Oh, I'll still subscribe. Subscribe to Cook on Monday morning." <laughs> he was all like, "Shoot, that's he was super so funny." Let down. The, yeah. the cooking television space is like skyrocketed. The competition space, the reality, reality space, is skyrocketed. Um, it is, and um, people love to eat. You they know? do, and uh, and so, so you were a chef on this, um, on this, uh, you know, popular TV show. I don't. You see, in my apartment, I don't have a television. <laughs> I don't have That's cable. smart. That's smart. <laughs> Save a lot of money. <laughs> talk a little bit about so so ultimately, like, how did you? How did that finish? The the show, I ended up winning it. Yeah, I ended up winning it. Yeah, and then what happens? So, how did it feel when you won? It was probably one of the most overwhelming feelings in the world because it was one of those things where at that moment, everything that I had been through before that all made sense. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, that's why I had to go through all that. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, I couldn't even fully even digest it. Like I still haven't even fully digested it. Mm-hmm. I had a friend finally a few months back kind of looked me in the eye and was like, wait, bro, listen. Mm-hmm. Your chef Rashad, you just won this competition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even my therapist is like, you got to learn how to be in that mm-hmm. and be okay with it. It's not a bad thing that you're excited about your accomplishments. Because mm-hmm. I come from an environment where, where you're just not supposed to be that way because people look at you a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. So you got to just like, yeah, I want it, all that kind of stuff. But it's like, no, you have to really just stand on your accomplishments and be proud of it. And it's nothing wrong with that. And so now I'm just now getting into that mode because before it was like, when the show, when I got done taping it, I couldn't tell anybody that I won. Mm. So I kept that secret for a whole year, year and two months. For real? Yes. Did you tell people you recorded it? I told, I told only people that knew I recorded it was my uh, immediate family. Hmm. Really, really close family. I didn't even tell them the outcome of it. Wow. And then I couldn't tell anybody else in the community until, you know, the Food Network gave me the okay mm. to be able to say it. A year and how long? A year in, what was that, two months, three months? So you recorded it in May of 2018. May of 2000, yep. And then it aired in... Like July. July 2019. That's crazy. You had to sit on that for a Stressed year. Stressed out like... Dang. So like you're on this... Man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were you a big fan of the show before you went on? I was actually. I was. I... I I didn't watch in the recent years because I got so busy working, mm-hmm. didn't have time, but I definitely was a fan of the show. Always watched it just because I enjoy competitions like that. That mm-hmm. brings everybody down to even playing field and you got to just mm-hmm. figure it out. So I was definitely- That sounds disrespectful. I didn't study it. To huh? make you wait that long. And, but I was just like, I can't tell nobody. Like yeah. They were like, no. So I'm really good at NDAs. Like if I sign it, okay, 
my mouth is shut. Got it. <laughs> Until you give me the okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't so you play. Can trust, you can trust Shepard Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> play because, man, I, look, I got, I've signed so many NDAs in the last year. I'm like, I can't say Oh, nothing. so you've won more stuff. You want to reveal anything? It's, I can't off. reveal nothing. <laughs> like, I got I got some big stuff Breaking happening and coming. Cooking Monday morning. <laughs> I got some crazy stuff happening. I can't even say anything. And, I, and you know, like, p- people, when they ask me a question, so what's going on? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Nothing's going on. I'm just, I'm just living. Yeah, just, what yeah. I want to, what in my brain is saying so, living, but, but in my brain is yeah, saying right, right. so much stuff. Like I'm doing this, 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 this. Uh-huh. I'm about to do it. And then I'm just like, nope, can't say anything. Mm. Can't say nothing. Mm, that's so I'm up. definitely an NDA king. Okay. Okay. Good, man. <laughs> that's good to know. So, um, so incredible election after you win, you have to sit on it yourself. Um, uh, like what does the next year and two months look like? And then I want to talk oh, about what happens man. after you win and it's public. But like, what does the next year and two months look like? So the next, so after I come back from New York, um, literally my life is a living hell mm-hmm. to say it, to, to say the least. I'm going through with my business partners. They don't want to give up no more money to finish this restaurant build out. My personal life is going crazy. Me and my me and my me and my ex-wife is like calling it quits, mm-hmm. going through the motion of that and just the motion of crazy relationships mm-hmm. and just going through it. And then so that whole year that I had to wait, I was like, man, depression, anxiety, all that stuff hit. Mm-hmm. And it hit in a way to where it it crippled me. It, it had me kind of like where I was stuck, where I couldn't move. And I'm I'm the kind of person I'm not. That's that's not my personality. Mm-hmm. I'm someone that if something goes wrong, I'm always a fixer. I can step in and fix it. I always have a solution. But at this moment, I couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I was just literally stuck. And it was the strangest and scariest place for me to be in that place. But what made me get up and finally say, you know what, you gotta make something happen was was that I just knew that. Everything that I was going through wasn't wasn't specifically for me. Mm-hmm. I was just like the 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 person driving the car. It was not really about me. It was the people that were going to come behind me and come through me from the opportunities that I'm going to create. And so when I finally just decided enough is enough, I had to just totally throw myself out there. I left my I left my wife. Finally gave her the the divorce, signed the paper, and said, "Okay, it's time to go." Mm-hmm. I shut down the restaurant or no, stopped continuing with the build out because I couldn't find funding and finding the funding part was stressing me out. I just said, okay, I'm just gonna go back and just figure it out. So then I had opportunity to open up, this guy was selling a restaurant over in, um, it was Grammy's over in North North and West Oakland. It was a fish and chip spot that had been owned by black people years ago, Mm -hmm. but it had been in the hands of, a Chinese and Japanese family for 30 or 40 years. Hmm. And it had been circulating through their community. Mm-hmm. And this was a community staple that most of the neighborhood, most neighbors that live around there were all black people. Mm-hmm. And so when the guy gave me the opportunity to come in there and open up, he didn't, you know, I gave him a little bit of money down. And I told him, I said, I'll pay you later on once, you know, everything picks up. So I opened up that restaurant and um, what was that in May, June? 2019. Mm. Remind you at this time I was homeless. Mm. So I was living in the back of the restaurant, mm. sleeping in the office. How long were you? So you, you moved in in June? Yeah. Where were you living before that? I had just moved out in May. Okay. 
with my uh, out of my out of my loft in um in East Oakland. Okay. So I went from having my own space and all that to now I'm living in here. Mm. But it was the I knew that I had to sacrifice everything because I knew that something was gonna become out of this powerful. Mm -hmm. So through all of my anxiety, depression, all that, I, I just kept moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I was sleeping in the back of the restaurant, open, I opened up the restaurant and just said, we're about to start making money and start going. Mm -hmm. I created the concept, uh, Grammy's Down Home Chicken and Seafood, that was um, paying homage to my grandmother, but also kind of bringing back that chicken and seafood kind of spot that you find all down south that mm -hmm. we don't really have too much here in Oakland. Right. But it was a, it was a, it's an area and a market that is very profitable because we are the main ones giving our money to that, but we don't own these spots that we go to. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to change that narrative a little bit. So I, I printed this crazy sign and just said, this is it's black owned for the first time in 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people were loving it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any money to do anything. I was literally pulling pennies out of my pocket funding that restaurant mm -hmm. and didn't have any opportunity to paint. It took me three days to clean the restaurant because of how dirty it was. Mm, mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's most restaurants that 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 that, that are in the hood mm -hmm. that feed us. They're disgusting mm. and making us sick, but that's a whole nother episode that uh -huh. we'll talk about later on. Uh -huh. So I went in there, I opened up the restaurant, I just started, I pulled in my my, my all my siblings and was like, listen, we gotta make this happen. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just in there working, working, working again, not really focusing on taking care of my mental mm -hmm. that I'm just like throwing that on the back burner. Like when I have breakdowns, I just got to go and break down, come back and keep on going. Mm. And um, so the show airs in July. Everything just blows up. Mm. People are coming from all over the place, calling mm. from all over the place. I'm getting emails and messages and everybody's flowing there. All these newspaper articles are going on. Not knowing that my anxiety and my depression is at a is at a dangerous level, mm -hmm. but again, us as black men, we we just show up. Mm -hmm. So I'm still smiling, still doing the business, right. but I'm breaking inside. So I go on, and um, that that restaurant is going flowing. Then I get an opportunity to open up another pop up restaurant in Richmond. Okay. Again, crazy boy Rashad always want to take the risk to do everything. I open oh, up another one. after July. Did you open up the September? Summer? Wow. Whoa. Okay. Yes. Open up Cray Barbecue, a barbecue restaurant huh. in Richmond at Hilltop Mall. Okay. Again, because it was a space that black people didn't exist. And, yeah. there, and that area is going through a big development right now. Mm -hmm. And they're creating that mall to be an Asian themed mall mm. where they are targeting towards the Asian community. Okay. So me in my mind, I'm like, God, I'm all about representation being represented in all these markets. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can't change it, but you have to be a part of the conversation to be in the room. So I'm like, okay, let me get in there so that I can start being a part of this conversation. So hopefully I can bring more people in there. So the, so the mall gave me this restaurant space. I'm not knowing that they're using me as a face mm -hmm. to market to the black community, to show that they are for the community. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in there again, going from Richmond to Oakland every day driving and everybody who knows that 80 freeway mm -hmm. knows that's the worst freeway in the bay area i'm driving there making sure both these restaurants are running right while working with my siblings that don't really have a work <laughs> ethic because they're young <laughs> and still uh, are children you know what i mean so they still have a lot of growing up and, and this is the restaurant business they have no idea about it mm -hmm. me i know how 
it's fast, pick, you gotta go. So they're doing the best they can. And I'm just going like this, just traveling back and forth. Mm. Still homeless, mm. doing all this. Living out of the living out of the restaurant. I mean, just 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 going, just literally just going on fumes. Wow. And so I'm doing that. And then finally, um, what was this back in October? I couldn't find the funding that I needed to open up this restaurant. And I mean, to, to fund the Grammys restaurant. Mm -hmm. And then the developer didn't, over in Richmond, they were kind of playing some kind of weird, weird game. So I decided to, you know what, I'm gonna close both mm -hmm. of them. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna close both of them because my, my mental health is more important than anything. Mm -hmm. So I shut both of them down and just went back to the drawing board. Hmm. And it was a lot. It was a, it was a, it was one of those things. It was a humbling experience because I had to suck up my pride right. and say this is the best thing for me to do because I don't want to keep operating on E right. when I don't have to. Yeah. How long into the year did you shut down? Those both, both shut down, I believe, in November or October. Okay. Yeah. So okay. I we're in the first part of 2020. So yeah. So no. this wasn't long ago. This was yeah a few months ago. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Shut them down. Yeah. And so every all the stories that I hear about the restaurant business and the people that work in restaurants, all makes it sound like it's not a very attractive space to like. It's a lot. Break into. It's a lot. Like most restaurants fail. A lot of people that work in restaurants are like. Um, there's a lot of like substance abuse for people mm -hmm. that work in restaurants. Yes, that's a big uh, thing. Yeah, and uh, and it's like I, I did. I had um, I had a, a friend on the podcast. His name is Mark Devito. He owns a, a a brewery and they own several bars in the city. Mm -hmm. And I was telling him about the two hour um, guest bartender stint I had to do and how that completely like blew my mind how hard it was <laughs> to make those drinks and stay on top of those orders. And I was like, Jesus God, I would knock it up, you know. It's a lot. Yeah. It's, and so whew. and so you you go through this pressure cooker reality TV show when have to wait for a year and two months, start two restaurants and close them both within six months. And um yeah man, you all in bro. All in there. All in there. And it was one of those That's things crazy. where I was just like I, I had to accept the journey because uh -huh. it was like for me, people, you know, people kind of get this glamorous impression of entrepreneurial lifestyle, thinking that it's like always you work for yourself. You do. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is a very stressful, very crazy environment that you have to literally be born to do it. If you're not born to do it, don't do it. And you always know the sign of a person is born to do it is because. An entrepreneur never talks with a tone of, I am going to do something. They're already like, I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. If you're not saying that I'm doing it part, then you're not an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about what well, I'm about to, I'm about to, no, no, no. And, uh, one thing about entrepreneurs is that we always move forward. We always, no matter what we have, we move forward. Mm -hmm. Because we're supposed to, because we're leaders, we're trailblazers. We're the ones that's pulling our families and our communities behind us. And so being, being that mindset, I said, okay, let me shut these down. But that does not mean I'm going to stop. I just had to get strategic on my next plan and really take care of myself. I started going to therapy. I started to just breathe a little bit to not try to control the, 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 the way my life was going and just kind of just say, you know what? Let me just breathe for, for a minute right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going through a lot. I'm going through divorce and mm -hmm. going through homelessness and trying to get my life back together. It, it, it was no joke. It was no joke. And really just trying to 
have all this faith, but even though my life did not look like that. Mm. Like my life was like, every morning I woke up, like you should just give up. Mm. But I couldn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't, I, I just couldn't stop going. And, and the entrepreneurial lifestyle gets you like that. It, it's like a drug, it gets you, once, once you're hooked in there, it gets you going. Yeah. Especially for, for me, because I've, I've, I've had such great opportunities, built such great relationships, that I was able to see that this can be a very lucrative thing once I find that niche, and once I get on that road. Mm -hmm. And it's just now, that's where I am now, is finding, being smart about how I approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's. I, I want to dive in uh, deep into what it's like to close restaurants, and you know, people are coming. You have people working there, and you know, you have a lease obligation. I'm sure. <laughs> um, and I also want to talk about uh, how you think about sustainability. There's, there's so many. There's so many conversations we can go into around food too. Um, so, but let's start there. Uh, you're you're at two places. Mm -hmm. How many you have your you have family members involved? How many people are working at each each location? So we have three people at each spot. Okay, three and people. what are the hours for each restaurant? Are they the same hours? So they were um, similar hours. Basically, what I did was I was the one cooking, and I was doing all the prep cooking in the nighttime and in the morning. Okay. So by the time they got by the time they came in at nine thirty ten, I had everything done. All I had to do was just really just cook mm. and then um the nighttime same thing so i would be cooking till two three in the morning sometimes then waking up at six mm. getting it going mm. okay. that was like every day where i didn't have any days off mm. so mm. for that time when i opened the restaurant up all the way until november december i was literally working every single day all right and um so so closing him <clears throat> it was a lot because you know like i said i had people depending on me i had my siblings depending on yeah. me i had two cooks that were depending on me what what was it what, also the like what was the customer base like was it what were they was it growing was it low? it was growing okay. it was growing every day we were getting more and more customers mm -hmm. especially because richmond doesn't have any good food mm -hmm. and oakland is missing the soul mm -hmm. of food mm -hmm. people don't put their soul into it anymore and i always say well, it's, it's too expensive to live out there everybody's stressed out right. <laughs> so 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 it's missing so our customer base was growing and we were making money mm -hmm. but all the money was going straight to bills mm -hmm. and that's the thing about the restaurant business and any business is that you have to going in you need to have enough capital to hire the right people and to have a strategic plan to execute if you can do that part you can make great great money off of it mm -hmm. but what happens is that a lot of restaurants especially restaurants that are owned by black people we come in there throwing all of our money in there because that's all we got. Mm -hmm. And so then we go from live, basically living paycheck to paycheck, but living from day to day with the income that we make from the restaurant. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to pay all the bills at the restaurant, buy food. And then the, the crazy part is that with, when you deal with food purveyors like Cisco and oh, Kim Price, Kim, the big guys, <laughs> they, they don't typically give lines of credit to people of color. Mm. And people don't know about that, especially mm. black people. People don't know just how on the side of it, people think, oh yeah, you got a restaurant. But there's so many layers to it that we, challenges that we face, mm. just being black people mm -hmm. in running a food business, that it's, it's crazy having to deal with our own people driving us crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and literally, almost waiting for us to do something wrong so they have an excuse to talk about us. Mm -hmm. But then they'll go to the restaurant that they've been in the hood, the Chinese restaurant for, that's feeding you God knows what. Right. 
And you, you know what I mean? You've been going there for 30, 40 years, mm -hmm. but I make one mistake. It's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about you f to everybody. Yeah. So having to deal with all that was a lot, but the customer base was growing mm -hmm. every single day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had our days where it was a little bit slower, but most of the time people were, they we were, were we were killing it. You were supporting it. Yeah, yeah, we were killing it. And, and so closing, so like, did you have... Like what was your lease set up? Did you have a long term lease? Was it month to month? So I had I, I had like small like month to month leases okay. that I strategically created leases that if anything ever went wrong I could get out of them. Mm -hmm. And so that was a good thing that I was smart about doing that just in case something happened. Right. Okay. And uh, and and you've since gone into catering. Yeah. And so. Um, what does that business look like? How did that get off the ground? Where so is it at right now? Catering is, is how it started off. So I already had clients in that realm. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I started to do some small caterings because like I said, I'm kind of trying to figure out my, new, my, my next move. So I did a few of my clients that I've been doing and a few opportunities because the catering world is another one where, you know, it, the, the margins are high, especially when I have to rent kitchens and all that kind of stuff. Like mm -hmm. you really don't make any money. Mm -hmm. So that's when I came up with the idea for the food truck tour okay. to get a food truck while I kind of figure out what I want to do with the restaurants to get a food truck to go on a city tour around California, but also take a national mm -hmm. to really, you know, get my get the message that I'm trying to get out to people, but also just go out there and really Cooking for people is therapy for me. Mm -hmm. That that being able to see face to face, people enjoy my food. It's important for me. Mm -hmm. So me got, being able to do that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you said you had a kitchen. <laughs> what got you got in the refrigerator? Look, look. <laughs> I got some pickles. <laughs> I can get so, creative now. I can get creative. I got some pickles for Trader Joe's. Uh, <laughs> we got peanut butter. <laughs> Okay, okay, pickles and peanut butter. We can make something happen. Some chips. I'm sorry. Okay, with some chips. Fun. Okay, maybe deep fry or peanut butter. Oh, you know what I mean? Make okay. a spicy peanut sauce with the with the. You can dip the pickle in there. Damn. Yeah, man, we can. You know, wow, hey, 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 look at look at look at easy. Right. See, that's easy. <laughs> I told you I could do it off the top of my head. That's impressive. All right. But but uh, but but yeah, but but having to do the catering and the food truck tour, um, now we're still working on trying to obtain the food truck. But um, just being able just to, I'm trying to get back into that mode of falling in love with food again and mm -hmm. really just being smart on all the decisions that I make moving mm -hmm. forward mm -hmm. and just really being strategic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the, I mean, I, it's, it's great that you won the competition. I think that notoriety um, is great branding for whatever else you do. I mean, I'm sure you're thinking about it that way also. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what, what is it like to secure a food truck? Like, because uh, I've I've heard people talk about that a lot. Yeah. Like, what have you learned about doing that so far? It's I mean it's it's one of those things where it's a it's a it's a different realm because they can get pretty expensive. Mm -hmm. But you know I I'm gonna buy one that's already built out. So mm -hmm. they're trying to go buy one brand new. That's that just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So I've been looking. I got a friend that's selling one to me. That's like he's selling to me for half of the price of what it's worth. Okay. And um, just trying to figure out how to do that is like, I, I have the plan, the vision, but it's again, I'm trying to just lock down that funding that I need. Mm -hmm. I don't want to keep operating my business off of just pennies mm -hmm. and me trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I know that now I need to lock in and secure funding to just move forward mm -hmm. in everything that I got going on. Yeah. Yeah. With, with someone too of your experience, I'm sure you can like find a job in the kitchen. I've anywhere. had people... I mean, the the calls and emails I've got about jobs mm -hmm. and the amount of money they want to pay. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but it's not, but you're you're. But I can't. Yeah, I can't do that because of that's not. I know I won't be happy there. Mm. I know I won't be happy no matter how much they're trying to pay me. I know I won't be happy. Mm. And they've. They're yeah. trying to. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying they're to trying tip to me in a major you. way. They're like, "Well, uh-huh. we'll do this." I'm like, yeah. "Oh man!" Yeah. And then when I hit them with one of those conversations, like, "Well, you know, you can hire me as a consultant." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's when they're like, "Oh, oh no!" I'm like, "Oh, see," mm-hmm. because I, I can't, I can't be underneath someone's control like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just not in that place now to where I've gotten a taste of this lifestyle. I know what I can do in it, and I'm gonna stick in there until something happens from it okay no matter how hard it gets and it's been hard i'm gonna stick and stick through it and just fight through it until something comes up mm-hmm. yeah you're committed yeah completely yeah. i have no other choice mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's that's beautiful um and you know you, you talked about lines of credits and some of the other aspects of uh be a re- is it called a restaurateur is yeah. that okay because yeah, i'll be throwing around words and yeah. i'll be saying and uh and so, you know, we talked about uh, we talked about a development that you were uh, supporting um, that you know was going to bring out commercial space that brought in um, black business owners. Mm-hmm. You obviously believe in ownership. Yeah. Uh, you know, how, talk a little bit more about what else you think. What else you see yourself trying to achieve as a result of building out restaurants like what, what what are you trying to ignite okay so what i did was was after i closed the restaurants i kind of came up with this year plan and three-year plan mm-hmm. and it was a goal because i believe in setting i now know how important it is to set goals for yourself and actually meet those goals mm-hmm. so i so the first year plan was i wanted to find a developer that was building a new development because i know they're all coming into oakland so i said there has to be a conversation piece that has to be to where this developer understands how they can support the community and not just in a way that we were saying, oh, we're gonna give you this space, but we're gonna actually help you financially get into there. And so I started talking to different real estate agents and found out about tenant improvement allowance that all these new developers have that people don't even know about. Mm -hmm. So I started talking and starting to find out how much those dollar amounts were. Mm-hmm. So I put the word out. What, what is that? Tenor so tenant improvement allowance is basically the developer, if you have a, a raw shell and the developer is saying, okay, you can come in and open up a restaurant. The developer puts aside and they already have funded a certain dollar amount where they'll put towards your project, where they'll build things like do the pummeling, um, the electrical work, mm-hmm. do even some of the um, earthquake and, and wall. I mean, do, do whatever it is to make their building to where if you leave it, Mm-hmm. they're going to be able to rent it out to somebody. And that's the kind of conversation you have to have. You have to know how to talk to them and say, what's the point of me putting a million dollars into your building mm-hmm. that even if I leave, you're going to still benefit off of? That doesn't right. make any sense. Mm-hmm. So, so trying to get creative about those conversations. And so I started to talk to some of these developers that were open to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Some of these bigger developers in Oakland. So I found one space that was downtown that um, I wanted to open up a boutique style food hall. Mm-hmm. where I would put two or three of my concepts underneath one roof and it would basically be this great food hall where not only would it just be a food hall with these different restaurant spaces, but also be a venue, have a bar there. I'm partnering with one of my good friends. He owns a barbershop. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a barbershop and it's going to be like this real futuristic 80s themed project. Okay. It's set to open up in about 12 to 15 months. Okay. And then um, I took, and that's about a, 
6,000 square feet space that we're doing there. Mm. And then the three-year plan was this uh, new development with um, OWOW, and it was a 10,000 square foot town square space, 6,500 square feet of commercial kitchen and commissary space. Mm -hmm. And so this one, I wanted to, because the opportunity came up and they were like, we need somebody to come in there and kind of control it. I didn't want anyone that to come in there and control that space that did not fully understand black entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. that did not understand black food, mm -hmm. because you have so many people that have certain positions, that, but they've never lived that life. They don't know what entrepreneurs really need. They don't know what black people really need. Mm -hmm. So when they offered me the space, I, I signed the LOI, and the whole goal was what that was was ten, the ten thousand square feet would be a um, food food court. But it would be uh, mini restaurants made out of the shipping containers. Mm -hmm. We're going to put about 12 of those in there. And we're going to have everything from a bar. I got one of my good friends. She, she's going to have a wine bar in there. Mm -hmm. We're going to have... I'm bringing chefs in there, black chefs, mm -hmm. to create great restaurant concepts. Mm -hmm. And then the commissary kitchen is going to be a food incubator program where we're going to help launch even more black-owned food businesses as far as to get them into grocery stores, to get them into having products, because that's a big industry. People don't understand, if you go historically and look at most wealthy black communities in the past, they always had really great food industries, mm -hmm. grocery stores, corner markets, restaurants, bars. Mm -hmm. They always had that, and that's something that we're missing a lot. That's like a really great foundation a really great foundation for wealth. Mm -hmm. And so me controlling that and me being able to delegate how that goes is so important to me because that's I know that that's one of the reasons why I went through all the hell I went through mm -hmm. is because I'm supposed to help out people that look like me become owners. Right. We can't keep talking about like, you know, in, I call Oakland like it's overwhelmed with nonprofits mm -hmm. that want to do, they're doing good, don't get me wrong, they're doing good, but a lot of them are almost keeping black people poor mm -hmm. because they're not giving them the opportunity to be self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. They're 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 giving all these services, especially West Oakland, and it's been it's it's like it is for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's because it's so congested with a nonprofit world where they're keeping people poor mm -hmm. instead of giving them opportunities. Right. And especially when all these nonprofits have millions of dollars running through their hands where they can allocate that money to really help people they're not really doing that they're more so keeping them poor mm -hmm. and so me i'm changing that narrative and creating this food hall where i'm like no we're going to develop this is how you create wealth mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just imagine in a restaurant world making bringing in 1.5 million is that's like the bottom of the barrel mm. just imagine if you can get 12 restaurants to do that right. that are black owned the level of wealth that you're creating in the black community. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's going like this, it's just fluctuating. Because my understanding is that I'm gonna have somebody in there doing vegetables, which will supply the vegetables for all of those food. So it's, it's, that, it's that really understanding how to create a black economy right. where we are, our dollar is circulating in our community way more than what it is. Right. And being strategic about that. And so me doing both of these plans I always have the mind frame that I just, me, I'm, me cooking, I like to cook for smaller events, small caterings, do that kind of more elaborate stuff. But on the other side, I know that I have to use my cooking to create opportunities for other people. That's like one of my main things and why I want to take on this project. And people are like, well, dog, you are still trying to figure out all this stuff for yourself. Why are you taking all this other stuff? I'm like, if the opportunity presents itself, I don't have time to sit there and be timid and kind of, 
you know, get scared about what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk forward and just have the faith to know that something's going to come. Somebody's going to be all like, I, I want to be a part of this project that you got going on. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's, it, it's, it's getting bad in Oakland and people don't realize that, that it's going to get worse because what you're doing is that you're stripping people that this is their community that they've grown up in for generations. You're stripping them of all their resources. You're stripping them of, 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 of having um, positions in the community of influence mm-hmm. to where you're going to have a community that, that, that looks a lot like some of these other bigger cities that got hit with gentrification years ago. Right. And, and, and from a city level, they don't really know how to bring down their thoughts and really understand entrepreneurial lifestyle, how important it is for them to invest in black entrepreneurs to have more storefronts and have more opportunities in Oakland. And um, me doing this project, I'm kind of like putting everybody like, listen, we got to wake up like this is what needs to be done. How can we get this thing funded? Mm. It's because it's, it's not about me becoming rich. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that's not what it's about. It's about really creating that wealth in our community and me seeing these kids that are out here literally every day have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. And we keep wanting to tell them, go do this and do that. But it's like, we have to be able to show them. They, they need to be have, have to have examples to be able to look at and say, I can do that too. Because mm-hmm. right now they don't have too much of that. Mm-hmm. And we have to change that narrative in a major way. Because if we don't, it's gonna, get, it's gonna get ugly here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Especially Oakland. Oakland is going through this thing right now where a lot of these high school kids are robbing people, mm-hmm. left and right for computers and clothes right and it's like come on but just imagine if they had if they had jobs mm-hmm. if they had people that really understood them to hire them and and wasn't and was not threatened by their presence right. like a lot of the people that that hire them out there are mm-hmm. or trying to control them and keep them in a box just imagine if they had people that look like them saying i'm gonna give you a job with the mindset that i'm gonna help you become better mm-hmm. and i'm gonna pay you a living wage so that not only am I paying you, but you get to work for a person that looks like you. I think that's 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 a beautiful thing to do. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, the purpose, purpose, and uh, you you definitely you have a cause. Yeah, your passion is like um, it's palpable, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, and I think what you and I can and I can hear and see and feel the purpose behind what you're trying to build. Um, and you know, like we're we're in Hayes Valley. Um, this this neighborhood was historically redlined, and so uh, you know banks weren't lending the homeowners here, and it was a space where a lot of black homeowners, you know, can only come, but they got they have predatory loans. Yeah. Um, along the Fillmore corridor, we had talked a little about this over the phone. Mm-hmm. You know, I had this whole vision for how to revitalize that commercial corridor, and for ownership to be in the hands of people indigenous to the community. Yeah. And um, and so when you when you look at some of the institutional barriers, you know the restaurant industry has a lot of barriers, right? It's like it's it's hard, mm-hmm. you know. Brick and mortar traditionally is also just a bit difficult, yeah, you yeah. know. And and I'm sure you see the businesses that are staples in our community, like kind of they poison our community, mm-hmm. like the liquor stores in a major way, McDonald's, <laughs> you know, um, even the produce markets. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're they're even horrible. Yeah, and and they they uh, they're staples. They like they remain in business. You know, they're not owned by people in the community. And so, what you're you have like a worthy cause, and what you're talking about is really important. And um, 
and you know and so i i want to see you get there you know yeah. and you know i think talking to you i think it's it's, it's apparent you're going to get there yeah yeah <laughs> i mean I, I right now i'm like i'm nothing's going to stop me like i'm i'm going to i'm going to keep on moving forward and just see what happens even if i have to make it happen myself mm-hmm. i'm going to make it happen because i know how important it is because i see the suffering of these black businesses i see what they're going through i see some of our restaurants that have been around for generations that are closing and they're closing without any retirement. Right. They're closing, going to get on Social Security. How do you own a restaurant for 30 years and you turn around and have to live off Social Security after that? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's only because they had, they were literally just using what they had to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so we, as the younger generation, we have to change that. We have to, we have to flip that to where we're not going to keep on living this life like we have to just keep our head down all the time and always just go through the motions or let other people control our narrative. Right. We have to stand up and say, no, 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 no. We have to be owners. Mm-hmm. Ownership is, is the most important thing. Anybody knows me, anytime, like I'm doing this Amazon event, I'm pulling on so many black businesses as contractors to do certain elements of it. Mm-hmm. And me with the understanding, I don't care if it's paying you $800. I'm still putting money in your hands. Mm-hmm. And and anytime I do anything, I'm always doing that because I understand how important that is, how important it is for, for me to make sure I'm placing that money in the hands of these black people because that's the only way we're gonna change what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. We can keep on blaming everybody and, and you know, t- talking about everybody as our roadblocks. No, we literally, this generation of, of black folks, we have every resource. To, to change the whole entire world. Mm-hmm. And we just can't be, cha- we, we can't be scared about it anymore. Yeah. We have to really just operate in, in us and be and be happy with that and, and come together and figure out how can we make stuff happen. Right. Because I think if we work together collectively, like that's my vision. I want to build a dream team to get all both of these visions. Somebody that's good in marketing, somebody that's really good in business, somebody that's really just build a team because I'm not going to do it all. I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to be the person that's going to just throw the vision out there. But I want to build a team of people where we can really put this thing together because this can be beneficial to where it can literally change the entire world because it's something that, that's not being done right now mm-hmm. in, in any inner city right now. Mm-hmm. And so when they come in there and they take our cities over, we can't be mad at them. And it's almost like you mentioned the red line situation. So now most of these red line neighborhoods are now considered opportunity zones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again... I think it's an insult to call it opportunity zone mm-hmm. because how, who, who is benefiting off of the opportunity? Mm-hmm. Cause now you got people coming and buying up all these properties able to make one of the, one of the real estate ways that people are doing the opportunity zone. You can go buy a property, hold that property for eight years. Every bit of profit that you make off of that, you keep that money. It's not taxable. Mm-hmm. So how many black folks, are benefited off of that, are able to go buy those properties. Mm-hmm. So again, you talk about the red line, you change it to opportunity zone, but it's still redlining. Mm-hmm. It's still doing it because again, you're coming into a neighborhood that you said that we're not gonna invest in nothing into, and now we're coming in and investing in there and we're getting rid of all of you. Mm-hmm. And now we're making even more money off of it. Right. I went to this big opportunity zone meeting that they had at this church one time. Had all these black folks getting up talking about, you know, what they wanted to do. And you had all these venture capitalist people up there talking about, you know, what the Opportunity Zone was and trying to, you know, explain from that conversation, nothing has happened. And you have black folks that have access to these 
venture capitalists that understand the opportunity zone. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to figure out what are they saying in these rooms yeah. to where it's not trickling down in a progressive way to the black community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do know some uh, some people that are opportunity zone investors that um, that are social impact minded mm -hmm. and, have, and have also complained or raised raised concern about um, how you know there, there's not really much a part of the program that incentivizes investors to align with like long-standing community members and that that but that are interested in that yeah um, they're I mean they're interested in the tax savings mm -hmm. right um, but they're also interested in doing something that that helps people stay. Yeah, you know, and some people are just interested in the tax savings. Yeah, and yeah. that's kind of like what it. You know, you can sell art, put it in this, and then let all the interest compound or whatever mm -hmm. whoever's developing whatever. Um, and and so I think, you know, diving deep on all the aspects of how real estate works, how investment works, wh where the investment conversation is going, I think is very uh, wise for you to do because you also are thinking about. You know what a space looks like mm -hmm. who has title to land right mm -hmm. um how dollars are flowing between these storefronts and and so so you know my, my hope is also that and it sounds like you're also open to partnership oh yeah like you're definitely. partnering with developers definitely. and amazon and definitely um, and you know and you're trying to do that while uplifting the community yeah uh, so yeah so um hopefully you can find those investors because they, they, they they're not on all the same wavelength yeah i think some are on the same wavelength as you, you know, mm -hmm. um, but you, but all that is incredibly valid. Yeah, and I, and I agree. It, it it definitely is, and it's one of those things where the conversation has to start. Yeah, that's why I'm talking with people like Samsung, Amazon, Facebook, Stanford University, because mm -hmm. these conversations have to start. They have the money there, and they have all the heart to want to do it. They just don't know how mm -hmm. because they've never had the conversation, yeah. or they're or they're thinking it from a traditional standpoint. Oh, this is all they need. No, it's. It's deeper than that. We got to really find, we really got to create like a structure of how to invest in these businesses where they can benefit off of it. Because yeah. there's many layers to it. You just can't give a business and say, here goes $100,000, figure it out. No, mm -hmm. they need more than that. Yeah. They need they need more structure. They need more, more than just $100,000 because there's no way you can survive off $100,000 opening up a business. Yeah. There's more to it than just that. Like mo like both these projects are going to probably be up in the high seven figures projects. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I just can't say, oh, give me this just to build it. No, I got to figure out my whole three year, five year. And the investment has to look like that. It has to has to has to definitely have all of that in place before I know I might need 20, 30 million just to keep one project going for the next you know, five or five years, mm -hmm. but understanding that and letting the investor understand the benefit of that and why we need those kind of investments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. On every episode, we talk about leadership and legacy. Mm -hmm. You, you kind of started the episode talking about legacy. Um, but, you know, I got a girl and I can't cook. Right. And so since I got you here, got you. <laughs> got you. Uh, you know, like uh, for all us. For all those brothers that's sort of deficient in the kitchen. <laughs> I got a plan for y'all too. I'm coming up with you know, I got a vision should, of how I'm gonna help y'all out. You should uh are you are you I'm sure you thought about some sort of like um do you already do you have a chef a recipe book? Do you already I do. Okay. I do. Okay, and how can people purchase that? 
It's not out yet. Oh, I'm, it's not done I'm yet. working on it. Okay. I'm working on it. Okay. I'm working on a few things. Like I, I had this idea of launching a. It's funny you said the cooking show podcast. Okay, that's something that I want to do. Where I yeah. want to bring on people that don't know how to cook. Oh, okay. And help them get to that level. Oh, got it. Because you know it. what I mean. Because once you get down to it, it's easy to do. You just uh-huh. gotta learn that flow. And once you learn that flow, I tell all my boys, I'm like cooking for your girl. Uh-huh. You're winning. Yeah, you're winning. Yeah, I mean, I got I got eggs down. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> That's a good thing, though. I, That's I a can, challenge. I can boil them. <laughs> can you scramble them, though? I can, I can scramble them. You know, the omelet. Over I, easy. I struggle with the... Oh, the omelet? Yeah. Oh, that's... Hell yeah. 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 I can show you some tricks. Burnt, you know? Because <laughs> it's the... Because so many people use butter. I tell everybody, use olive oil when you make your omelets. Oh, uh, use olive oil. Butter burns way too fast. Uh-huh. So it's almost like you're taking two fats and putting it into a pan. Mm-hmm. So you got to... The olive oil, it'll keep it from sticking in the nonsense. You can make the most prettiest omelet in the mm, world. With okay. All right. Pretty omelets, <laughs> olive oil. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, what is like a, uh, so I don't eat pork and red meat mm-hmm. if I was going to make dinner for two. Okay. You know, top chef moment or okay. sorry, ch- chop moment. Okay. <laughs> what, do, what do I put together? What's the. Well, I mean, you can always, it depends on how deep the relationship is because, you know, crab. <laughs> Crab is messy, uh-huh. and crab can make you know you look ugly. So you know okay. you eating crab. So, so maybe not crab, depending yeah. on the night. Um, I would always say a nice salmon is always good. Okay, always marinating salmon. I got this really good recipe where you take a really good maple syrup mm-hmm. and you marinate the salmon in maple syrup. Hold on, is it? Can you hear? Okay, it's just okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. But um, so you you marinate the salmon in some uh, maple syrup. Oh, just, salmon yeah, and maple yeah. syrup. Salmon maple syrup. I never had that. Oh, <laughs> on a whole other level. Keep going, keep it going. creates the crust for you. Uh-huh. Throw a little bit of lemon in there, roast it in the oven with some shallots on top. Mm. Maybe do a nice garlic potato, like a fingerling potato is always good. You know, uh-huh. you chop it up with some garlic, salt and pepper, seasoning salt. Um, I like doing some grilled, these grilled um, asparagus with a little bit of lemon zest on top of it. Uh, you make something like that, yeah. and then on on a you dessert tip, too, yeah, please. exactly. <laughs> and then and then on a dessert, uh-huh. the easiest dessert you can do is you can take literally take some strawberries, cut them up, throw some um, throw them on the pan with some sugar, thicken it with some cornstarch. Uh, throw a little bit of rosé inside there at the end. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I don't drink either. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but throw a little bit of rosé at the end <laughs> just because it has a nice little flowery taste to it. Uh-huh. And then what you do is you put it in a nice little bowl. You put that on the bottom of it. Then you take some ice cream or some whipped cream. Mm. Put that on top. And then you take, um, what's that cookie called? A chesame cookie. Chesame. Yeah. Okay. Put it put it right on top of it. Oh, with A little bit of mint. Uh-huh. If you do that, dang, bro, you'll make me sound like man. I'm telling you, listen, I tell everybody that's the, that's my secret weapon. Okay, <laughs> that's my secret weapon. Cooking, yeah. women love when you cook for them. They don't. Uh, I mean, it, because you, you took the effort to right, do it, right? And you actually took the time to do it. And uh-huh. when you make it, and when it's good, uh-huh. oh man! All right, so you so, in there? <laughs> so salmon with the rosemary and some. I'm gonna re-listen to the yeah, it down. yeah, definitely. <laughs> But I definitely got some recipes coming because a lot of my boys, a lot of people I know, they they struggle in the kitchen. Right. Like one of my boys <laughs> called me after Valentine's Day. He was all like, yeah, I made my girl this, this, this. I'm like, look at you. Yeah. Growing up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's what I'm talking I'm about. Up the exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, to elevate ourselves. Yeah. I'm you know, telling you. And cooking for yourself. Relationships. Cooking yeah. for yourself. <laughs> cooking at home is, is man, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a great experience mm-hmm. to do it. And it's so easy to do once you get in that flow. 
Right. You can do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. And YouTube is really a great asset mm-hmm. to always learn from. Right. Right Definitely. So um, leadership and legacy. Uh, do you have any guiding principles when it comes to leadership? Um, how I have to say my, my guiding principles would be to know who you are, stand on what you believe in. Um, always, every move you make, everything you do, understand that you're a leader in the community. Understand that you're not just speaking for yourself. So make sure you have a lot of truth in what you're saying um, and commitment. If you're going to be a leader, be a, be a committed leader mm-hmm. and, and just have a backbone. Mm-hmm. Don't be someone that is easily moved or easily pulled away from your vision or your goal. Because if you're a leader, you've been given a God-given vision that nobody can take away. So you have to stand on that and you have to believe it and speak that boldly, even if it makes you uncomfortable and make other people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And not be scared. Like, like you, have, you have to take that chance. Mm-hmm. You have to. Mm-hmm. And take care of your mental, your spiritual, and your emotional. Right. That is the most, beyond any of those, that's the most important. Taking care of that, making sure that you value that. Taking care of your body, taking care, making sure that you take care of yourself first is really, really important. Because most leaders, we struggle with that piece. But you got to do that. Yeah. Okay. And and legacy. So, so uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit already, but... Uh, my great grandfather is Luther Harris. I named my company after him. It's called the Luther Harris Holding Company. Uh, he moved out here from Arkansas uh, with a sixth grade education in 1947 and bought properties for him and all his family um, at a time when it was hard for black people to do much of anything. His legacy is important to me. Um, it informs how I think about my legacy. This is his dictionary. Wow. That's powerful. <laughs> and these are my great grandmother's chairs, his That's wife's cool. chairs. Um, that's how crazy. do you think about legacy and how do you think about your legacy? Man, legacy, I t- the more and more I go through my days and my times, I understand this. I don't, see, you know, some people say standing on the backs of your ancestors. I stand on the shoulders of mine mm-hmm. because they were, the reason why I am who I am is because of the fact that they stood. Mm-hmm. They stood for something and they, I mean, the more and more I do research and find out more and more about my family, I see how many strong women, how many strong men that I come from, people that were leaders, people that changed so many things in the world that I didn't realize it. And so knowing that that legacy is in my DNA, it's only, it's it's my responsibility to make sure that I take what they did and I just go times 10 mm. and create an even more powerful legacy. Because that's a lot to have to, um, have to stand on. Like these people were, Growing up in a time where they were not supposed to do what they were doing and they did it anyway. And so now, because I'm standing on their shoulders, it's important for me to even be even more impactful, for me to be even more intentional, for me to create a legacy that generations after me are going to benefit off of, not just in my family, but in my community are going to benefit off of. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm, I'm a door for people to walk through. Mm-hmm. And that's the legacy I want to create, the door legacy. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm opening up doors for others to walk through. Right now. Yeah. Thank you, Rashad. Yeah, thank you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. For sure, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, Great talk. Yeah, how, how can people get a hold of you? So my Instagram is uh, Chef Rashad 2.0. Um, Twitter, Chef Rashad 2.0. Um, yeah, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. That's where I post about all of the 
stuff we got going on. We got, uh, I'm doing a panel next week with Congresswoman Barbara Lee in Oakland. Mm-hmm. That's going to be really great. I'm, I'm, I'm the young buck on the panel, okay. so I'm going to definitely bring some edge to uh-huh. the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're ready kind, for it. Kind, kind woman. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I've, I've done her events for her for a few years at her house. She's she's definitely dope. She, mm-hmm. she, she's, a, she's a great lady. And just really just re- keep an eye out for all these things, these projects that I got coming up. I got some big stuff coming up in this year that's going to be on a national TV scale that's going to be deep. Okay. Okay. And um, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> Can't say too much. <laughs> Can't say too much. <laughs> but it's going to be great. It's, 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 it's going to create more opportunities to have greater conversations around a lot of great topics that we need to talk about. Okay. And hopefully, you know, I can lock down all this, uh, get every, well, I'm, I'm going to get it done. Mm-hmm. All these projects I got, mm-hmm. they're already done. I'm just going through the motions. Right on. Yeah, for right sure. On. Right for on, sure. Bro. Appreciate you. you. Yeah, Appreciate man. you. Thank for you. Sure. <laughs> peace, peace. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Cook on Monday Morning. I learned so much from Chef Rashad um, I now know how to make a pleasant meal for my significant other. I hope that you all check out all the stuff that he does on his Instagram and Twitter, uh, that you follow his next food venture, um, that you find a way to get behind his vision. And uh, I think that when we when we build out spaces that are run by you know diverse communities, whether we build out area of the city that's specifically focused on Latin-owned businesses or Chinese-owned businesses or whatever else the case may be, it contributes to a thriving local economy. And historically, we haven't had that representation in a strong way for the Black community. I think we can do that in San Francisco. We can do that in Oakland. And people like Chef Rashad are going to be a catalyst to bring about that change. It's a good time to to be thinking about those things and it was really invigorating to hear his perspective hear his journey hear about his failures and you know all the things that he wants to do with this company thank you chef Rashad. i appreciate you i'd also like to thank all the people that made this podcast possible i'd like to thank uh, my videographer and producer david tapete thank you sir i'd like to thank uh, fernando Cinco marquez for the editing that he does of the newsletter. Uh, I also like to thank all the people that have been supporting the podcast by sharing it, by subscribing, by uh, supporting our vision to get the 2020 subscribers by April 30th of 2020. We are, you know, moving into the first quarter of the year. We're building together how we feel about Monday morning. If we own Monday morning, we can own the week. If we own the week, we can own the year. And if we change our year we can change our lives this is about improving ourselves so that we can then go out and improve our communities that starts with how we change our perspective about monday morning i want to say a thank you to all the people that make our city the beautiful incredible place that it is i'd like to thank our teachers um, our school lunch workers our people that uh, do our janitorial work our muni drivers our uh, first responders, you know, our firefighters, our EMT workers, the people that keep our streets safe. Thank you. The people that are out in our community every day looking to build and improve the lives of others to get people um, to get people hope. Thank you. All of you make San Francisco the beautiful place that it is. 
and I'm your biggest fan. This podcast is for you. It's also for people in the cities we've been building community in, places like Oakland, Los Angeles, Houston, Dallas, New Orleans, Philadelphia, Jackson, Miami, uh, Detroit, New York City, Chicago. You know, anybody, anywhere that believes in improving their community, owning where they live, building where they are, this podcast is for you. I'd like to hear from you. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Stevon Cook. You can send me an, in, an email, info at stevoncook.com. Um, I got one of my neighbors outside <laughs> making a little noise. <laughs> um, feel free to reach out, uh, stay in touch. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know who you want to hear from. And enjoy your Monday morning. Peace, peace, and we out. Thank you.